Listen for a word from God in Genesis chapter 4. Now the man knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've produced a man with the help of the Lord. Next she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a tiller of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel, for his part, brought of the firstlings of his flock their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is lurking at your door. It's desirous for you, but you must master it. Cain said to his brother Abel, Let us go out to the field. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. The word of God. Speaking of food, here we have a story about two brothers with two types of food offerings. One with fruit from the ground and one with meat from his flock. And on on the surface, this seems to be a simple story about jealousy. Cain was jealous of Abel, got angry, and killed him. The end. Well, it's not always that simple, isn't it? There are at least two problems with this story. The first is the theological problem of God appearing to randomly choose Abel's sacrifice over Cain's. And the second problem is that the absence of an explanation for God's actions uh, leaves us guessing. So let's look at the story a little closer. While we often make food, the food offerings that each brother brought the heart of the story, we sometimes miss other parts that the story can truly help us uh, to move deeper into an experience with the divine. In this story, we have two brothers, two occupations, two offerings, and two names. Each of these pairs symbolize two different ways of viewing the world. I want to focus for today on their two names. Their names symbolize different ways of living in the world. We know that names in scripture are more than simply names. A name describes who you are as a person, your character, your destiny. And so we come to Cain. The Hebrew word Cain means to acquire, to possess, to get. And this accurately sums up Cain's character and actions in the story. There are at least seven times that Cain possesses or acquires something. One, he acquires or possesses a worldview, a new worldview. Cain possesses his own conception of how God is to be worshipped. The text says that Cain simply offered some of the produce of his land, while Abel offered the best of his flock, firstlings, and the best parts, their fat portions. When God disregards his offering, Cain becomes angry and murders his brother. Now, Cain did not learn from his parents' mistake in the Garden of Eden, and he becomes a law unto himself. He took matters into his own hands and possesses a new worldview that opposes the other and opposes God. He's possessing natures further brought to light by the fact that he possessed a brother. Abel is called the brother of Cain, but Cain is never referred to as the brother of Abel. Cain's possession of his brother is highlighted by the use of possessive pronouns throughout the story. His brother, your brother, my brother. And the ultimate display of possessing his brother is by taking away his life as though it belonged to him. Cain possesses a mark or a sign. 
Cain does not show remorse for the killing of his brother, but complains to God that his punishment is greater than he can bear. Another example of his new worldview where he possessed, that he possessed where he called the shots. God listens to his complaint, and Cain acquired a special sign of protection. Cain possessed a land. Verse 16 says that Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and lived in the land of Nod. Now, Nod means wandering, which is the result of his curse. But again, with his new worldview where he takes charge, he takes possession of the land in order to gain security as well as a future. In verse 17, we see that Cain possesses a wife. She does not have a name, and we don't know anything more about her. But what is important is that by acquiring a wife, Cain now secured a family and a potential future for his family. Cain also possessed a son whose name was Enoch, who would have his own children and thereby again secure the future for Cain. And lastly, Cain possessed a city. Building a city is Cain's attempt to dodge the penalty of God that God had imposed on him and to establish a place of safety for his family. Cain's name means to acquire, to possess, to get. And Genesis is clear that Cain lived out the meaning of his name, taking matters into his own hands to secure for himself a protected future. Cain's main problem is his general stance in the world. He's oblivious to the other. When God does accept his offering, Cain's problem is not really that he was performing the wrong rite or not attuned to the spiritual realm. No, Cain's problem was that he lacked a concept of otherness. He does not see his brother. And as long as Cain does not see Abel, he does not really see God. Cain, through his name, represents a way of life that is self-centered, focused on accumulating and possessing and security, a life closed off to others. Now let's turn to Abel. In Hebrew, Abel's name, Hevel, means breath, with nuanced meanings of fleeting or vapor. Clearly, Abel's name stresses the temporary nature of human existence. It also carries with it the sense of hopelessness. In fact, the author of the book of Ecclesiastes uses the word able 38 times to express the impermanence of human existence. The book of Ecclesiastes opens with meaningless, everything is meaningless, and in fact, the word that is used there is able, able, everything is able, meaningless. Abel is an afterthought in the birth story and is constantly referred to as the brother of Cain. Not once is Cain referred to as the brother of Abel. Abel did not possess anything. He did not possess land or a wife or a son or a city. And he did not possess a certain worldview. The only thing that matters, though, in this story is that Abel was open to God and open to the other. And that God's acceptance of, he, of his offering signaled God's acceptance of him and his way of life. So here we have two brothers, two food offerings, food that represents two very different versions of life and their names that represents two different ways of going about the world. One way is open and vulnerable, not holding on to things. The other way is driven by acquisition and self, the self-made life that holds on tightly to things. So what exactly is God up to in this story? By favoring Abel's offering and not Cain's, God actually wants to awaken Cain. 
The story is about Cain. God wants Cain to see his brother. And he does. For the first time, Cain realizes that he is not alone in the world and that he is not in charge of the world. God's action is not favoritism, but it is an attempt to reach out to Cain and save himself, save him from himself and his worldview, to open him to others. God is not trying to destroy Cain's world. No, God is trying to broaden Cain's world to make Cain's world a shared world. What makes a true human is not material success, achievement, or even hard work, but a sensibility and a sensitivity to otherness. To be truly human is not to carve out a place in the world through hard work, but it is rather to be vulnerable and awake to the dimension of the other. That is what God is seeking to do in this story. After Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God came to them and asked, where are you? This was not a question about location. It was a question of relationship. And in the same way here now, God asks Cain after he killed his brother, where is your brother? And it is a question not about location. It is a question about relationship. Where is your sibling? Had Cain welcomed Abel, he would have embodied true humanity rather than the self-centered stance that had characterized him up to this point. What makes us fully human is not the ability to cultivate the ground, but the ability to cultivate relationships. What makes humanity truly good is our capacity to rise above the ways of the world's economy and open ourselves to the other. And this is only possible through the sometimes painful and uncomfortable act of sharing the world. So God reaches out to Cain, but it was too late. Cain, deeply entrenched in his self-centeredness, kills his brother in a desperate attempt to regain control over his world and over his life. A story of two brothers with two very different ways of living in the world. (laughs) It makes me think of my brother Mornay and I. When we were kids, our different ways could not be clearer. Mornay is three years older than I, uh, and most definitely the wiser, calmer brother, a deep thinker, an avid reader, super, super, super smart, and an introvert. I, on the other end, I was a bundle of energy, always ready to combust, looking to be the center of attention. And I was athletic, and thankfully for my mother, I poured most of my energy into sports. Two very different ways of being kids. Of course, when it came uh, time to play, things always got interesting. I was uh, extremely competitive. And even though I was younger, we were about the same height from early on, and I quickly caught up to his weight too. And so this combination of my energy, uh, my competitiveness, and my size was not always helpful in our play. And to be honest, I got angry as a kid quite a bit. Mornay, unfortunately, was always on the short end of the stick during our play. I think of a time when we played rugby in our front yard where we lived in Bloemfontein in South Africa. Very small yard with a street on one side and rose bushes on the other side with a strip of grass in the middle. Now, one-on-one rugby means that it's you against me. There's nobody else to help. And at some points, I got really angry or energetic. I forget what it was, but I, I tackled Mornay so hard that we plowed into the rose bushes. He got stuck in the rose bushes and he was bleeding from the thorns. He had scratches all over, uh, uh, all over and it took us forever to get him out of those rose bushes. 
Then there was a time we played cricket and one of us hit the ball up on the roof and I was usually the one to climb up on the roof and get the ball, but I didn't want to do it this time and so I said, you get the ball or we don't play. So Mornay climbed up to the roof to get the ball. But once he was up the roof, he wasn't quite sure how to get down and he didn't really do that. So the best I could do was tell him, don't be so weak and just jump off the roof, it's not that high, which he proceeded to do and sprained his ankle. Then there was the time uh, when we got back from vacation, when we visited our cousins, uh, they'd be taking judo lessons. And then one day our parents were away at work and Rene and I decided to play judo. Uh, and remember, we were about the same height and weight at this time, and so we took turns to throw each other uh, over our shoulders with judo moves and stuff like that. Uh, and at one point, I vigorously threw Mornay over my shoulder only for him to hit his head at the bottom of the piano, the leg of the piano, and he was knocked out cold. <laughs> the story that probably sums up our different ways of being kids is when we went out for a bicycle ride to the supermarket to, 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 to go buy something. Not content with just riding to the store, I had to make a race out of it. The competitiveness coming out of me again. So I told Renee, let's race and see who can get to the store first. So there was me and my little red BMX and Renee on a silver road bike. Of course he had the advantage. So I was getting frustrated and angry and close to the finish line, he started pulling ahead of me and I decided to take matters into my own hands. I veered right in front of him in order to cut him off and we crashed. We crashed badly. Well, he crashed badly. He fell and hit his head on the asphalt. I stopped and turned around and I saw that he was knocked out cold. And then, this was worse than the piano incident, there was blood coming from his head. It was bleeding badly. I panicked and not knowing what to do, I raced home, screaming all the way down the street at the top of my voice, Mom! And when I finally got to my mom, she was already in the front yard wondering what had happened. I told her and we rushed back to where I had left my brother lying on the side of the road with his head bleeding, and he wasn't there. Where had he gone? Where, where is my brother? Neither him nor the bike was there. There was only a puddle of blood screaming to me from the ground. To quote my mom, from a text thread about this story, she said those were anxious, anxious moments. Fortunately, a lady across the street had seen the accident and uh, she took my brother into her apartment and helped clean him up. It was one of the scariest moments of my life to this day. Two brothers with two very different ways of going about the world. Mornay calm and content to play. Me, always wanting to win and get my way. Things did change though. I did become more sensitive to the other and to the world and it was primarily due to the birth of my younger brother, Emrich. Emrich is five years younger than I and we all of a sudden went from two brothers who were essentially equals when it came to play, me always winning and being the stronger, to three brothers. Now we had a small defenseless child that was added to the mix. And wow, do younger siblings have a way to announce themselves to the world and to us middle children that we are not the center of the world anymore. 
As Emrech became older enough to play with us, all of a sudden, I had to be sensitive to his needs and wants. I could still beat Mornay, but now I had to play with my younger brother and being sensitive to his feelings. <laughs> Beating Emrech, uh, my younger brother, every time we played cricket or rugby or, or soccer, always resulted in tears for him and frustration for me. And it was here where I learned the valuable lesson of putting his needs first, playing with him for his sake, not mine, playing for the sake of playing, not to win. And that would mean I would give him three turns to bat rather than once. That would mean that I would let him score a number of goals, not me. I would only come to realize this later in life, but his addition to our family helped me open to the world of the other especially the vulnerable, and it helped me to realize that I was not the center of the universe. Cain and Abel, a story of two brothers. Well, three brothers. Because at the end of this story, in verse 25, a third brother and hope suddenly appears. The story ends as it began with a new birth. Adam knew his wife and she bore a son and named him Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another child instead of Abel, because Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he named him Enosh. At that time, people began to invoke the name of the Lord. Seth's name, Seth's name comes from the Hebrew word Sith, that means to place, to put to a point. Eve does not say this time, I produced a man. Now she says, God has appointed for me another child. Grace. The birth of Seth, the meaning of his name, and the fact that humanity began to call on the name of the Lord points to the way for our fractured world, country, city, neighborhoods, homes, and lives. A story of two different ways of life, one open and vulnerable, the other closed and self-absorbed. A story with the unsettling reality of Abel's death and the sad image of Cain moving to build his life away from the presence of the Lord. A story that exposes our brotherly, sisterly, neighborly relationships with the potential for closed hearts or the potential for open hearts. What kind of offering will we bring to our God? Hundreds of years later, people will still wrestling with this question. And so the prophet Micah spoke. What shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with a thousand rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? God has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Amen.